Hey, this episode of Bass Freaks is brought to you by MXR Bass Innovations. MXR has been a leader in guitar effects for over 45 years. MXR Bass Innovations creates bass effects pedals from the ground up, each one specifically designed for bass players by bass players. Not repurposed guitar pedals, but their overdrive, fuzz, EQ, preamp DI, octave, distortion, compressor, or chorus, these tried and true stomp boxes are designed by Dunlop's award-winning team of bassists and engineers. Go to jimdunlop.com and check out MXR Bass Innovations for your bass effects. What's up, friends? Welcome to Dunlop Presents Bass Freaks. The Bass Freaks podcast is a place to gain some insight and inspiration, as well as learn a little something about some truly amazing bass players. I'm your host, Josh Paul, and today's guest is Miles Mosley. Miles has made a name for himself as a solo artist and has performed, recorded, produced, and toured with such artists as Kendrick Lamar, Most Def, Jeff Beck, Chris Cornell, and so many more, and is considered one of the world's premier upright bassists. He's also a founding member and upright bass player for the acclaimed LA group, The West Coast Get Down. Miles, thank you for coming on the show, man. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. This is, uh, is going to be fun. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So let's talk a little bit about bass. Let's talk about uh, your journey in your history. What got you started on the bass? Uh... I guess I started twofold. One, the easy one was that I was the stereotypical like friend of a kid who played guitar and wanted to start a band, so they just handed me an electric bass. But did they tell you it was easier? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think he just you know needed some support in his life. I got uh, you. Yeah, and uh, we you know just started playing Nirvana tunes, uh, and almost concurrently with that. Uh, this was in junior high. I was like 13 years old. Um, I went to join, I wanted to be in like a comic book drawing class, which they were offering, but not enough kids wanted to take it. Okay. So because it was LAUSD, they can't just have a class with, that's the, that's the public school system in Los Angeles. They couldn't have a class with three kids in it or something. Right. Which I thought for sure more kids would want to draw comics. Like oh, I was super into, you know, X-Men and, and all the Spawn comics and it was tons of cool stuff. Um, anyway, so they're like, you can either go to art history or orchestra. So I didn't want to go to art history because the whole point was to do something fun, not like learn facts by rote and take tests. <laughs> so I was like, I'll, I'll join the orchestra. That's, that's what's up. So I joined the orchestra and they asked me what instrument I wanted to play. And I had never, I hadn't thought that far along. So I asked the teacher if she wouldn't mind playing the instruments for me. And she um, she played the the violin for me first and it was really screechy. And I knew that if she sounds like that and she's the teacher, my mom is going to have a panic attack if I come home with that. Um, then she played the viola and violin, viola, same thing when you're 13 and you don't know any better. Then she played the cello, which was her instrument. And it sounded incredible. And I was like, okay, that's me. I want to play the cello. And she's like, cool. Well, we'll, we'll assign you a cello and you can take it home with you. And I was like, well, I live in Inglewood, which is pretty far away from the school. I was going to Palms. Uh, and I have to get on a bus and I have to walk up, up and down some hills and and it's kind of rough. It's L.A. in the 90s, so it's just not conducive for a kid to be walking with a cello. I'm going to get jumped and someone's going to take that and my lunch money and my shoes. Use it as a surfboard like, well, or something. <laughs> <laughs> she, she was like, and I look over in the corner, I see this thing like this, what what is I now know is the, the scroll of a bass poking out of the top of a locker. 
I'm like, what's that? She goes, oh, that's that's the double bass. I was like, dang, you got to take that home with you? She's like, no, 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 no. If you play upright bass, it stays here. I was like, bet. You now have one upright bass player in your midst. And I picked it up, and man, I fell in love almost immediately. I played an open string, and I was, you know, tiny frame at the time, and and just shook my whole body. And when I saw the power that instrument had in an orchestra, you know, 60 kids all playing a beautiful C major chord, but if I play an A, that song is sad, and there's nothing anybody can do about it because now it's A minor. Like, once I understood the power, the fact that humans hear everything we know from the bottom up, uh, it, I took to it right away. And all of the sort of harder pieces of the puzzle to put together, intonation and vibrato and bow work, a lot of that stuff came luckily kind of naturally to me. So okay. took off from there. So learning in school, how far did the, did, you know, we're, we're talking a little bit about um, public education and um, the class there in school. Did that teach you, uh, I mean, the fundamentals were you able to get through some tunes and read and, and learn some? Yeah, public education got me. I mean, I, I went all the way through to UCLA. So and I was in some kind of combo orchestra chamber group, something like that from junior high through high school and on. Luckily, came up in an era where they hadn't completely dismantled music in schools. Right. Um, and you could still play it without having to pay fees or get an instrument right away. Like it was. It was the era of Clinton and, you know, all of the rest of the stuff he did aside, just as it goes to humanities and arts and stuff like that, he, that administration released a lot of funds into, into public school systems. And um, I, I definitely benefited from that. And really, quite frankly, so did the entirety of my circle of, of musicians that came up in L.A. in that time. And, and you see now the result of what happens when you nurture in a public school environment the growth of um, arts and humanities, especially in music, you see that's how you end up with, you know, me, Kamasi, Washington, Thundercat, Terrace Martin. Uh, I mean, the list goes on for, for on and on and on. Cameron Graves, Tony Austin. It's, it's, it's a massive amount of talent because people kept paying into it. Um, Mm -hmm. And then that starts to expand outside of the public school system into into people that want to come in and boost that up. So then you have, you know, who ends up being my manager actually later on, Barbara Seely and Bob Broadhead. They take kids and put the best kids from all the schools together in a super group. And then that elevates to another, another, you know, uh, notch up. And then Reggie Andrews, who a uh, wonderful, uh, inspiring uh, teacher who just passed away recently, he takes a bunch of kids from a bunch of different schools and makes a multi-school band. So awesome. like, that is awesome. Starts somewhere very simple. And it grows really organically if you just leave art to in the hands of wonderment and inspiration. I wholeheartedly agree with you, and I'm a huge advocate for um, music education in schools. Um, I know it kept me out of a lot of trouble. Dude, that <laughs> part right there. Like, yo, I mean, if it wasn't for... for the upright bass and jazz and classical music and just organized thought and and like having a place to be after school. Right. Woo! I mean, I was into sports and playing baseball and my parents always, you know, both my mother and father were their their education is held very high for them. But you can only do so much 
in ignorance of what the streets have in, in, in you know planned for your kids because like you can't just hover over them. You can't. Right. You can try in helicopter, but not when you're taking the bus and walking to school. So <laughs> like the streets have a plan too, and and so to to be able to have a place that you could go after school to have like what what fundamentally functions as a group of friends that are looking out for each other that, that it's its own gang it's its own protective circle it's its own unit that like we're all musicians and so we have each other's back to that extent and that's actually kind of respected by the streets so like they see you as oh that kid's he's a jazz musician he's not about this thing so we don't need to bring him into the loop like that because he's you know what i mean he's got a yeah, shot yeah yeah that it's makes important. sense man that makes sense. Who were some of your earliest influences? Well, I mean, I kind of lived and died by the by the school of Ray Brown almost my whole life. So it it I was very fortunate to have John Clayton take me under his wing when I was really young uh, at the Colburn School, which which at, when I went there was just a like a an annex to USC. It's just a bunch of practice rooms. Okay. And you could get private lessons there. And uh, I took private lessons from David Young, who was over at the, who was the bass player for the LA Chamber Orchestra. And after a while, as I gravitated towards jazz, John Clayton was a better fit because he was both, he could keep my bow work up with classical music, but obviously he's an incredible arranger and, and, and jazz bass player. And so when you study with John, you are vicariously studying with Ray Brown. And that means that you are studying with Oscar Pettiford. And, you know, so that's kind of the lineage of that. So those were my, those were my earliest influences um, on the jazz side. And then I always, I mean, I dug grunge really early. So um, Dinosaur Jr. and Nirvana and, and uh, just gritty, you know, Sonic Youth, that kind of stuff really resonated with me and like the bass being kind of a a ratty downhill kind of instrument you know it's yeah. not just in the cut it's kind of like it's pushing it's really pushing and it and it's funny because in both of those genres the bass leans forward in the music it doesn't lay back uh-huh. not in both of those genres but like the, the bands that I like like Ray Brown leans forward He's yeah. he's a he's just ahead of the, of the of the he's like driving the thing forward. Got it. And same thing in grunge. It's like this this angry. I don't know. I can only say it's like it's this downhill playing that that I really like linked up with. Okay, I feel that very cool. Um, do you did you ever get into playing electric as well? Or I know you. Yeah, I I did um, when I was young. Okay. Uh, like when I was when I was in junior high, I played uh, electric, and I kept it up in high school too because I was in a I was in a rock band that got a record deal, and so I was always in it. But cool. Um, like I took the same approach to learning electric bass as I did upright, uh-huh. and that was to to imitate my heroes, and so like I learned Victor Wooten. Amazing Grace, that live thing from that Bella Flat record. I I learned Steve Swallow parts and Tony Levin and uh, you know I just kind of Jocko obviously and Jamerson and like I'm learn I'm learning all the all the the go to things that were released in in my my realm of understanding at the time. 
And I couldn't hear where else to go. I could just I could just pay tribute. I could just learn to be like them. But in my I couldn't hear in my on my own what do I want this instrument to sound like? It didn't speak to me that way. But every time I picked up the upright bass, I always knew, even though I was emulating the greats and transcribing their works, I could hear where I wanted this instrument to go. I could hear my own voice in it. Maybe that's what I'm trying okay. to say. Yeah, yeah. And so like that, plus being in Los Angeles and growing up in that clique, the sort of West Coast get down with with uh, Kamasi and Tony and Brandon and in there playing electric bass is Steven. Thundercat. So like there's somebody who hears where the instrument can go. It's like, so he hears that and I hear upright. I'll just get out the way and I don't really need to play electric like that. Right. So it was a really natural progression. I got, I got something from the electric bass and understanding and appreciation for it. But I knew that I could contribute something wholly unique to the upright. And I knew that the upright wasn't finished growing as an instrument and mm -hmm. I wanted to be a part of the pantheon of of musicians and, and artists that like kept on pushing that instrument up the hill because I had felt that it was being left behind for no real good reason. Okay. So let's talk about then uh the importance of finding your voice as a musician or as an artist or as a bassist, but also your approach and process to finding what it is that was your voice and how it was speaking, how you were make, how you were able to make the, the upright speak. Yeah. Well, I think that what happens most naturally is that you are a series of influences that are unique to you. Your combination of influence becomes mushed so imperceptibly close together that now you just sound like yourself. You sound like the, your own thing. Like if you were to ask, say, if you were to ask Tony Levin why he sounds the way he sounds, he would to give you a story and you would go, oh, okay, I see how you got there. But it's a hodgepodge of things that aren't necessarily all bass players. There's, you know, he could have been inspired by, uh, I don't know, the loot or something like that. <laughs> but something about that <laughs> phrasing or something worked into the way he approaches the instrument. So for me, in, growing up in my household, there was a lot of music from the 60s. Uh, There's a lot of like uh, rock music, be it be it Jimi Hendrix or the, the Laurel Canyon familiars of uh, Joni and Crosby, Stills, Nash. And so there was a lot of like really lyrical playing. Um and there was a lot of jazz. There was a lot of uh, Oscar Peterson trio and a lot of, well, my name is Miles, so I'm named after Miles Davis. So that's always, uh, you know, in the house every day. And so there's a ton of that. And then there's a lot of um, soul music. So a lot of those things are bass driven, but what's being celebrated also is this sort of soloist mentality. So when I gravitated towards the bass, I really wanted to play melodies. I can actually remember melodies better than I can remember the chords to a song. Okay. So I, I, I think my journey was always one of like 
being lyrical and melodic and and in the front and then downhill and gritty and 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 like bullish in in my playing. So then taking that and translating it into being supportive, um, how do you support somebody? Like how how high can you lift them up? Not just how far can they drag you or how how stable can you be? Um, but how far up, how can I push you further than, you know, you can, can I help you imagine a, a new height? That's kind of what I think where I, where I landed with all those influences meshing together. Beautiful. What advice would you give to, to younger players in attempting to find their voice and whatever it is they're playing? Um, well, one piece, a dangerous piece of the puzzle it's kind of hard to navigate, but it's important. You absolutely need to know what other people have done. Like really know it, know the music, because that's where you are right now. Where you are is sitting in the history of everything that came before you. So you have to know it. Doesn't mean you have to if you don't if you don't gravitate towards a certain genre, you should respect that genre, but that may not be where you put your time right away. But the things that you that you like and you like spending time listening to and like studying, really study them, really listen to and find out the minutiae of why it works the way it works. Because that will eventually be who you are. It will eventually be your sound. You will be this weird amalgam of your particular flavor of likes and dislikes and preferences and actions coming from studying your own heroes. But the tricky part is that you don't want to be purely um, celebratory. You don't want to just be someone who is mocking your your favorites or or like putting them in a time capsule well you can be that but that doesn't make you have your own sound that makes you someone who's a tribute right, right. You, and we need that too don't get me yeah. wrong we we also need people who get to continue to carry on the legacy and you go oh, okay cool we still have we effectively still have the the spirit of Jocko and Jamerson to, to mention two legends because there are so many people who pay tribute to them. But if you have a wandering spirit in you and if you, if, if trailblazing, if what you, if one of the things you respected about them was that they did it like no one else did, then you want to start to question the mechanics of the music. Why does it work? Why does it, why does certain actions, especially as a bass player, why do certain actions evoke a certain feeling? And what are you going to do about that? Because you're the conductor of emotion as a bass player, almost more than anyone else. Because you can ruin it so wholeheartedly. <laughs> you can tank the whole show, like, in a way that no one else on stage can. A singer can sing, can sing a bum note, and, like, that'll... That, that people know. People can go, ooh, that's, that's not the right melody. That hurts. After that, it's the bass player who's like, ooh, this song sounds horrible. And it's because you're playing either the wrong notes or notes that are unexpected or, you know, who knows? You're, you're out of sync with the, with, the, with the spirit of the moment. 
so yeah that that if you're a trailblazer like find out why the music works find out the function of it like ask yourself why you like what you like and knowing that will allow you to stay kind of open to finding those those moments in your own music great advice great advice i dig that i would say that you're a trailblazer yourself you know killing the upright and adding in effects and um but uh let's talk about some of the approach on that end the, the interesting thing about effects for me for as far as my approach to it was i didn't come at it with the knowledge of 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 like the possibility of all effects I, it's a, it was a really a utilitarian approach. Like I wanted to, as a bass player, as a supportive member of the band, in a jazz band, for instance, we start the song, we play the head, we get to the first solo. Let's say it's a quintet. And the trumpet player starts taking their solo. And they take their seven, eight chorus solo. And we're back there. Everybody is back there pushing. Piano players playing, bass players swinging, drummers going nuts, and we push this solo. And it's not about volume; it's just entirely. But it's like energetically, we are with that trumpet player for his whole solo. Then it's the tenor player's turn. Tenor player gets up there, plays his seven or eight choruses, and everybody stays involved. And we help that person express themselves. We support their ideas. We suggest ideas, and in in uh, thousands of millisecond moments, we together express this magic moment that when it's all done, everybody claps for the tenor player and goes, yay, you're awesome. Okay, no problem. Even though it was a team effort, <laughs> that's what's up. It's all good. No problem. Because I'm going to get my turn to take my solo. But why is it that when it's my turn, everybody takes a bathroom break? Historically, when the bass player takes the solo, especially upright bass player, everyone stops playing. Now, that actually comes from a massive amount of respect for the bass player, knowing that your instrument's not very loud, it doesn't have a lot of sustain, and so we have to get out of the way so that your ideas can be heard. The piano player can lightly comp, the drummer can switch to brushes or, or you know, tick tick on the on the hi-hat. But we need to give sonic space because you just can't be very loud. You can't be as loud as a trumpet player. You can't hold a note as long as a horn. You cannot. So respectfully, we'll get out of the way and leave the stage for you to do whatever you want. But to me, that's a, like early 20th century problem. We should have solved that somehow by now. Like, where is everybody going? <laughs> we, we, like, of all the advancements that have happened, nobody has decided to, like, make it so the upright bass can take a solo without everybody having to come to a stop or clear out space. Like, all those amazing bass players that have come and blazed all the, it was already hard enough just to be able to get a bass solo for 50 years of jazz music. You finally get that, and now, like, what I felt was missing 
was the collective energy. I still want everybody to play behind me, just like I played behind you, because I want that support. Because I know what that, I know what kind of unforeseen places that can take your solo when somebody's helping you. So I I say that because that's what the pedals were for. So initially, I was like, well, if I could get louder, then people, then the drummer wouldn't have to come down. So the drummer could stay with me. And if I could get louder, the piano player could comp, especially if I played louder and higher, then the piano player could play beneath me in a supportive bass roll. So what kind of pedals would make me louder? So there's a boost pedal. Okay, so that's step one. Everybody's had amps for a while, but like to really get up there, I tried to boost pedal. And immediately the problem was that the upright was going to feed back. So I started to get an EQ pedal. Okay, well then if I boost and then step on an EQ pedal so that I can roll off some of the low end, maybe that would get rid of the feedback and I'd be louder. And then I, okay, well now I've gotten loud enough, but like at, when I switch to the bow and I get to the peak of it, it would be nice if like the sound could cut more so that when the drums are washing on cymbals and the horns come in with the background part and the piano is really supporting and they're wide, I can like somehow cut across that, like find a space to have the last little part of the mountain be heard. And that's where I started thinking, well, like a distortion or some kind of octave up or a wah maybe, because a wah is just a filter. So I could filter off the low end and kind of rock it slowly into a place that cut across the band. So all of those things were sort of solutions to to problems that were showing up from solving the previous problem. Got it. Um, uh, and really the biggest piece of the puzzle that opened it up for me to even dive into the world of pedals was that I met Jason Burns over at Blast Colt and he makes an upright bass that sounds incredible, maintains an acoustic value, but can get really, really loud because he was designing them for like rockabilly cats. And they're standing in front of, you know, uh, uh, eight by 10 cabinets and just going bonkers. And I was like, okay, so there's the volume part right there. I can maintain the full richness of the upright bass but be super loud. Now these pedals are going to really take on a, a different realm. So the, the final piece of the puzzle is that nobody R&Ds pedals for upright bass. Not yet. Hopefully, as, as I and other bass players, upright bass players that, that, experience, that um, mess with pedals continue to, to, to grow and experiment and give feedback, there maybe becomes sort of more of a uh, a market for it, but I, but I say that to say, I needed to figure out like, how am I gonna <laughs> test all these pedals because it, the the most heroic pedals for guitar oftentimes sound horrible on bass, right? Either because they roll off too much low end, or because like the way that the 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 frequency of the bass hits the pedal. It makes it act funny or something like that. And that's when I met Daryl over at MXR. And he saw kind of where I was headed and, and I was already knee deep with the 105Q, the wall that was like, and still is kind of the center of my tone um, and, the, and the octave pedal. 
those two things, those are my like desert island. I can, I keep that in my, just in a back of my suitcase. Like if everything fails, I can take a wall and an octopedal and tear, tear a roof down. Um, <laughs> but Daryl was like really working with MXR to develop pedals that were more bass driven or bass thinking and allowed me to have access to them and, and even the pedals that were made for guitar just to be in the playground of it, to try out different stuff and then go, hey, here's what I found. You know, like that that uh, um, pork loin pedal that, that uh, Way Huge makes is a killing uh, drive for bass. Yeah. I don't think that he intended to do that initially, but it worked. And you wouldn't find it unless you could just play around and try stuff and take it onto the show. And sometimes... Pedals are really great, but they're too finicky to dial in, like, on the spot. Um, so once I got with MXR, things kind of took off faster, and I was able to, to, you know, start to comparatively understand what works best for upright bass and which what type of characteristics I'm trying to bring out in it. Um, the upright bass has one particular element that no other instrument have has, which is a sub transient. So the first time you thump the upright bass, it does sound like thump, right? So you have the the T at the top, which is like your flesh rolling off of metal. That's in there. But when your finger rolls off of the off of the string, it hits the fingerboard. And that fingerboard resonates and goes oomph. And so that is why the upright bass is a thum thum thum. There's like a there's a percussive element to it. Right. Well, that information isn't just, doesn't vanish into the ether. If you plug it into a pedal, it goes into the pedal. So this sub transient, this like really early, super low, useless piece of information goes flying off into an octave pedal or a chorus pedal or, a, and it, and your pedal has to make a, what am I going to do with this? <laughs> right? Do I try to track it and find out if it's a note and make a sub-sub note if you're running it into an octave pedal? Do I, does it change the speed of the chorus pedal if this low piece of information comes in there? So it's a really tricky um, problem to, and fun problem to solve, but it requires a lot of experimentation. Right. Experimentation, experimentation is, key. is key. Yeah. And then the bow. Like bow work is is to me the most unsung piece of the upright bass these days, and it's wild because it's exactly half of the instrument. You can either pluck it or bow it. That's it. <laughs> so it's wild to me that people will go their whole lives not doing exactly half of what the instrument can do, and what you get out of using the bow is. It's enormously gratifying. It's wildly diverse. It sounds like nothing else. And it effectively turns the bass, when it, as you're talking about effects, turns it into a never-ending oscillator. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. So why yeah. would you not want to be a seven-foot-tall Moog? <laughs> right. <laughs> why not? It's incredible sound to me. You can do anything. You can do anything as long as you learn how to play the bow you don't even have to be amazing with the bow but like if i can give any advice to upright bass players that may be listening to this go get a bow get a cheap one and just i think german is the, that style of bow uh which is the way you hold it there's german and french 
is a bit easier to be unlearned with and just get it and, and you know, figure out how to play a F major scale or something like that and go from there because it'll change the way you think about your instrument. It, it'll, there's no other piece of gear you could buy for an upright bass that would give you that like a second life. It'll make your amp sound a second way. It'll make every pedal you own, you actually own two pedals. You own the chorus pedal when you pluck it and you own the chorus pedal when you bow it. You own the distortion pedal that you pluck, the, the same distortion pedal when you bow it. It's like you get two for one, man. It's a bargain <laughs> discount prices. It's going into a recession. Get a bow. Double your, double, double your gear. <laughs> that is killer. Okay, so you've you've sort of worked out some of these sonic um, solutions. Um, and what about, did you get any looks from any of the people you were playing with, you know, when you oh, started? Yeah. Like, how did, <laughs> how did you overcome that? Absolutely, absolutely. You're laughing because I'm just sitting here shaking my head. <laughs> I will say I was really lucky to do this, to, 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 to go off on this journey in Los Angeles, California, because... A, you have a car, so you can put a bunch of gear in it. And if I was in New York, tr like trying to get to a gig with a pedal board and a bass amp and, and the bass, I would probably have become disheartened, particularly because it sounded so bad so early. Um, and I also had a really open-minded group of musicians that I've been playing with my whole life that allowed me to search for something. Nobody was paying attention to Los Angeles when I was coming up um, in the 90s and thousands. It, jazz was in New York and it had been for, you know, a hundred years. So, almost. So, it was like we had license to do whatever we wanted because no one cared what you were doing. You were written off because you were in LA unless you were doing some studio stuff. Got it. And the swing sound, like what jazz sounded like in Los Angeles was, it was, it was tipping, you know, it was slick. It was like, it was, it was tuxedo and, and it was, it was not necessarily light because it was grooving. It was grooving. It was just, it was, it was West Coast. It was laid back and like, you know what I mean? It had a, had a style to it that was like really kind of slick. Um, so for me to plug a pedal board in and turn an amp all the way up, it was absolutely frowned upon by anybody other than the eight people that would hire me to play gigs. Um, so what ended up happening is I just always booked my own gigs. I always, I'm the leader. And so if you don't want me to play in your band like this, then I'll just book my own gigs and, and, and experiment with this music, you know, that way. Um, also starting at 13, like I'd spend, a, I had spent a considerable amount of time uh, hours wise, not life wise, but hours wise, just studying the purity of the upright bass which I think is important. You should do that before you plug in too many pedals because pedals can become a crutch. They can kind of, it's like the auto cool, auto interesting button. And you, eh, you gotta be careful with that. Like make sure you're saying something, make sure you're playing something first. Um, 
side piece of advice. But yeah, people, people, I, I lost a lot of competitions for putting uh, an effects and any kind of effect on the upright bass. Uh, what kind of competitions? Think, what kind of competitions? Um, well, I was, I am, I am a competitive person, and I don't <laughs> have a problem with competition in music. I, I get where it throws a loop for people. Yeah. And I, just because something is competitive doesn't mean it's malicious. You know, it's a, it's okay to to incentivize yourself to get good at something. And that's really all a competition is. Like, hey, let's all get together and see who can play the fastest or who can play the tastiest or who can play the longest or who can, you know, it. it's just, it's, it. just a, it's, it's just a reasonable call, call, call into the practice room. Um, so I've won a lot of competitions and I remember losing <laughs> the uh, International Society of Bassists competition, ISB. And I got all the way to the finals and I showed up with my with one of my first pedal boards. Oh man, it was. I didn't think it was that bad, but it was definitely loud, and there was some feedback, and like, yeah, but playing, that's cool though. That's cool. Yeah, in my, I in thought my so. opinion, yeah. Um, yeah. I I played all the songs like super fast, and the band that was hired to be the house band behind the soloist couldn't play the tempo. I did a lot of things to sort of shoot myself in the foot on that. But dude, I'm I I come from like that can I cuss on this? Yes. I come from that fuck corporate rock shit, you know? So yeah, turn it on, turn it up, make it loud, be proud and like let's go. Let's go in. Let's go hard. <laughs> let's go big. Like why are we so pensive? And that's for me that is my own natural reaction to growing up around really slick, swinging, you know, beautiful music, but it's like, it's reserved. And so it's a natural, everything is always going to be yin and yang. The, the bass players that come up behind me, their natural reaction to my generation of turn it on, turn it up, make it loud, make it knock, is going to be to go and make it really, really, really understated and, and minimalist. And that's going to be a whole new era of stuff. Yeah. Um, the judges turned in the cards. The, <laughs> the judges turned in the score sheets and they were just blank. What? There was no score. It was just. What in the hell no, was that? Just go. Yeah, just no, no. Wow. No. Okay. Go away. Um, and the bass player that went on to win it is, is a buddy of mine now, uh, Ben Williams. He's a great bass player. Uh, but. Yeah, they mo one of them wrote like the effects are really hurting your your ability to express yourself, and that really bummed okay. me out, man. I, I did it. It was a, it was definitely a bit of a setback, and I had to ask myself why I was doing it, and the why was still true. The why still remained more powerful than any than any bumps in the journey or any setbacks. And it's because I want to be able to express myself right. fully, fully express myself. I don't want to be less than I hear in my head. I actually hear this stuff. I'm not guessing when I step on a pedal. It's all on, everything is on purpose and for function and for 
for the benefit of art and and i'm looking around i'm like no one else is doing it i'm then fuck it i'm it i'm the guy i'm gonna do it you won you won and i guess i did win that competition you right you really did <laughs> you really did yeah that's so important i've never thought of it that way what uh what inspires you as a musician let's talk let's 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 say both let's say what inspires you in life and what inspires you in music uh i think i'm and as far as life goes just the getting up and and getting at it every day i'm i'm inspired by the vast how how the vastness of everything we are in i live in venice california so that's where i'm from by the way Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm steps from the beach, luckily. And I can look at the Pacific Ocean and it does feel infinite, like I'm standing at the edge of the world. And I am inspired by the how futile and small these vast expanses can make the human existence seem it's inspiring because of all this greatness and all this strife and all this struggle of all it takes to like just get up and go do something when you know there are so many people out there trying to keep you from succeeding or keep you from being free or keep you from you know your own sense of self that even all that doesn't matter. So if it's if it's that small then you can you can actually do anything because there's that much space to be yourself. And that's worth fighting for and making a ruckus and it's worth stretching and reaching for it because you're trying to touch this infinite thing. Like when that when that picture came out the the what's the new telescope hub? I forgot. No, the I'm talking name, about right. I and do it was know like what you're talking about yeah. It was like yeah. See all those stars? Yeah, you know, each one of those are actually galaxies, and you can barely see ours. And inside of the, you know, the infiniteness of it, it's like man, I'm going to do whatever I can possibly think of when it comes to art because I've been given that ability. So many people, we all have art in us. We don't all have the means to access it, either that being financial means to procure the actual objects, or sometimes there's just other pressures on you that you can't you can't get to it. I have been able to had parents that supported me making art the moment I wanted to. Um, they didn't care what I did as long as whether it was selling cars or 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 delivering sparkless water as long as I was the absolute best at it and then I was inspired to 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 seek out greatness that's what they wanted me to be um I I'm I'm always digging in to try to be bigger and braver and and brighter and more uncertain and live as close to the edge of uncertainty when it comes to making music 
I'm actually a pretty practical dude as it goes to just, you know, crossing the street on a Tuesday. But <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to art, like as close to the edge as possible, as much of the unknown as you can get, because that's what I see when I look out at the Pacific Ocean. Like it's so deep and we know nothing about what's cracking down there. And up is so up and we know nothing about what's happening down there. So like my the little noise, the little mess I make here, man, who cares? I don't care if you like it or not. It's not for you. It's for forever. Mm. Um, so I guess that kind of bleeds in between what inspires me just getting up in the morning and what inspires me in my in my art. Um, but just you know, generally speaking, seeing seeing humans really go for it and and tear down constructs, tear down uh, the safety net. I, I like seeing that as much as possible. Nice. That is deep. All good shit. All good shit. Um, so you, you've played with so many different people. You've done, you know, you have your solo stuff. Um, is there anything that you haven't done yet that you want to do? Ooh, that's a really good question. Haven't done that I want to do. I know that there's tons of stuff that I haven't done that I want to do. To name, to rattle them off, not sure I could do that. Um, okay, what's yeah, your dream? What's no one's ever asked me that before, and it, as I'm thinking that through, I'm almost humbled at how much stuff I've done. I've never, I don't, I don't really look backwards. You know, at, at what what I've crossed. I never look backwards. I'm always thinking forward. And now I'm trying to like think of something that I haven't done. And I like, no, did that. No, that was cool too. No, did that. No, did that. <laughs> I think that there are, there are, I guess the reason why it's hard for me to answer that is that there are projects in my mind that I haven't accomplished yet. And those are the things I want to do. I do know that like, as the same way that Upright Bass was I I had the feeling of stagnation in it when I was a kid and wanted to shake that up. I feel the same thing in chamber music. I I we have left that to a very particular soundscape and I'm not sure why. There's a lot of challenging music in in chamber music. There's a lot of great new composers and stuff. But I can hear something in my head where we could we could update that sound a bit. Okay. Um, so I could, I would really like to take what I'm doing on the upright bass and either plug it into the middle of some kind of chamber sound, chamber group, or take the what I know of this stuff and expand it amongst chamber uh, instruments so that it's intimate, but it's aggressive and still has this sort of open spatial place that it can land, uh, be it for improvisation or just soundscape stuff. So that's an example of one of a dozen projects that I, I have in my head. And those are things that I want to get, I want to experience and, and tick off the, the, the list uh, before I, before I, I don't know, <laughs> go sit down somewhere. Uh, but also <laughs> I'd like to spend, I'd like to spend, if I could like suspend space and time, I would definitely spend more time studying my instrument through the eyes of other masters, like through the eyes of a tabla player or 
Ah, like, okay. You know, okay. Norwegian elk singing or something like like just the masters that exist in all of these different parts of the world in you know West Africa or the guitar playing in, in Senegal or like to experience to take the instrument and just sit inside of it to go to Brazil and like really have my instrument with me and have everything I know but to sit at the foot of the masters of melody there and the 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 violon players that play all these dope ass they're almost like bass lines because they are the lowest instrument even though it's a guitar like uh that would be what i would want to do is spend time in different countries really soaking in that music into what i what i know as someone who's predominantly studied western influenced music i i haven't spent a lot of time studying microtones and and the ba- and the bass is so perfect for it because it's not a fretted instrument. You can play anything. Right, right, right. right. So that's that's a big one. I'd love that. Maybe that would be my version of sitting down. <laughs> like, Where you? Where's Miles? I haven't seen Miles about twenty years. Oh yeah, he, he took the bass up to Appalachia to study with the <laughs> he's, he, <laughs> Appalachian he's monks. It's so weird. He's still up there. It's <laughs> <laughs> they say you can't figure out how to get the bass down. <laughs> Do you uh do you have a desire to teach and uh, share your experience with with some younger players? Oh, absolutely. I think I think that I I don't think I know how much I've benefited from uh, teachers expending their precious time on building my future. I come from a family of of teachers, both on my mother and father's side. Lots of teachers are in my family, and so. I know, I know how important important it is to the fabric of our society. I know it's the easiest way to see why certain cultures grow or diminish. Um, and when it comes to art, art I think is also the easiest way to look at a culture and see its trajectory either going up or down. So. Um, not only do I think it's it's beneficial to share all this information that I received in my journey, which has been one of uh, much of a jigsaw puzzle. I've had to piece it together. There's There was no body to suggest what pedals would go great on upright bass. That, so that piece of the journey is something that I have to offer back. Uh, and then there's tons of, there's, 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 a, there's a wealth of information on how to play upright bass well that's for sure. Um, but teaching is something that I'm, I'm always open to. And I think that um, the bass community as a whole, we're always a bit kinder to, to hang out with and always warmer souls. I, I hang out with a lot of drummers. Them drummers are mean. <laughs> Dang. They hate on each other so hard. It's like oh, that's terrible. part of their... You know what I mean? It's, it's part of the way. It's like their love language is just hating on each other. <laughs> and I, I appreciate the ba- that bass players aren't like that. Bass players are much more open. Everybody, I think we all respect the different types of bass player you can turn into. Um, because we all know how important our role is in a in a band or in in a in a musical environment. Like we know how important it is for us to be on point. We right. really can't be late, late like that. 
we can't. We're just not, we're not that instrument. We're responsible and caring because the instrument is a responsible and plays a responsible and caring role in the music. I care for you, which is why I make sure that the C sharp is really in tune and nice and fluffy for you to play your melody on top of. Because I, I care for you and I care for this music and I can't be, bass players can't be like um, blasé because everything we play gets heard. Everything gets heard by everyone. Whereas like what the ring finger a piano player is doing, I mean, for big ears, people can hear it. But whether it's a sharp 11 or a flat nine, eh, it's, it's, it's color. It's, it's extra. We are truly the trees of the forest. And everyone else is the birds and the snakes and the other stuff that's like, yeah, there's stuff in that forest. But when I look, I see this forest and these trees standing up. That's what I see. And there's a lot of stuff inside of them. But, like, we are the anchors. And so I think we all support each other in a much more interesting or, or, or like a warmer way. So being able to teach other bass players is, is always, is always on deck for me. And I think as bass players, we're good teachers in general, even for other instruments. I think more bass players should be teaching rhythm sections like, <laughs> yo, bro, hey, 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 let's talk about this for a second. Let's talk about this for one minute. What are we doing? <laughs> what are you doing? Oh man! And you know how much how much of your mess I have to fix on stage all the time. Stop it! <laughs> <laughs> Cut it out. <laughs> so great, man. Oh man, this has been um, inspiring and enlightening, and uh, I really enjoyed this. I, I we're honored to have you on this podcast. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me and, and uh, anytime. And I, I look forward to uh, uh, listening to it and all, and all the other episodes you, you put, put up in the future. Thank you so much. Is there anything else coming up that you want to uh, mention before we go? Oh, um, well, I, I mean, I keep all my socials updated at, at Miles Mosley, M-I-L-E-S-M-O-S-L-E-Y. Uh, but I've, I'll probably have a record out, another record out next year. Obviously, everybody had to had to re-strategize coming out of pandemic, um, but the cats are getting back out on the road, so I'm, I'm playing with Kamasi this year, and then next year I'll start firing up all of these uh, projects I have in my mind and, and hopefully be able to put a couple of different things out sort of in series. Uh, but yeah, just follow me on, on Instagram or whatever you want to use, and uh, I'll keep you updated. Very cool. I can't wait to uh, check it all out. I appreciate you, man. Thank you for listening in to the Bass Freaks podcast. Stay healthy, spread love, spread joy, kindness, good vibes and inspiration. And remember, you got this. Follow your path, whatever it may be, and just play. Until next time, cheers. And a huge thank you to Dunlop for making the show possible. Make sure you check out Bass Freaks wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Bass Freaks.